Welcome back. Very enthusiastic crowd here in Dudley. Can we afford the cost of net zero? One or two of your reactions. One viewer says, no, we produce less than 1% of global CO2 emissions, so even living like the Flintstones... <laughs> I like that. It, it would make no difference. It's virtue-signalling lunacy I get. Another says, they're all anonymous, this lot, there is no climate change emergency and no such thing as man-made climate change. Uh, it's a view. Scrap all green taxes and scrap the net zero rubbish as people voted for the Conservatives, not for the Green Party. Well, well, yeah, but, you know, this female Prime Minister that we've got has very strong views on green <laughs> Cody says, no one voted for this. It was not in the Conservative manifesto. Immigration was and has not been controlled. Actually, in the points that Boris stood on, he did mention net zero, but not heat pumps and all the rest of the implications. David said, I think it's only worth it if the knowledge on which it was based was true and wide-ranging. We know with COVID, a very narrow narrative was chosen. I think the costs and benefits need to be looked at again. And really, David, that's what I'm calling for. I, you know, I'm not questioning, actually, whether the world's environment's getting worse, because clearly, in many ways, it is. What I'm questioning is what we're doing in the name of it as a country that only produces 1% of CO2. And finally, John says, absolutely not. This will hit the poorest and hit them hard. And, you know, that's the one thing I didn't discuss there with Ross, is that, actually, when you look at all these green subsidies, what's really happened over the last 20 years is we've taken money off the poorest in society and given it, in many cases, to the richest in society, the landowners and giant foreign multinationals. And there's something very wrong about that. Now, I mentioned earlier that Dudley has swung from being Labour to being Conservative, including here on the Council. And I, I just wonder whether Dudley is feeling that levelling up is working because I don't actually see, at the moment, any evidence of it. Uh, it's one of the reasons I think energy is so important. Not just security of supply, but by producing our own energy and hopefully bringing prices down. It isn't just everyone's house that gets affected by this. It's all manufacturing industries. This area used to be a big, proud manufacturing area. Sadly, it isn't today. And what we have to have is competitive energy. That, I think would be real, genuine levelling up. I'm also struck that perhaps the other problem uh, that the Conservatives may have here in Dudley is if you look at the local Dudley NHS Trust, you see over the course of the last 18 months a 70% increase in the number of patients in Dudley waiting for operations on the NHS. It is an absolutely eye-watering rise. Indeed, the West Midlands is the second worst in the whole country in terms of that rise. Waiting times, too, increasing hugely at A&E. And one of the gripes that we get all around the country is the difficulty of accessing GP appointments. So I would suggest to the Conservatives locally here that whilst they've done incredibly well to win the parliamentary seat, to get that majority on the council, They've actually got to deliver for people on levelling on leveling up and on health. Otherwise, they might find themselves in a little bit of trouble next time round. Now, my what the Farage moment. Ever since that moment, at four o'clock in the morning, on the 24th of June 2016, when we realised it was going to be a Brexit vote, the establishment could not understand how this could have happened. And they've pushed a story, both here with Brexit and in America, 
with Donald Trump winning, they've pushed the narrative that it was all funded by Russia. It's the Russia hoax, the Russia conspiracy. And because of the behaviour, the appalling behaviour of Vladimir Putin over the course of the last three weeks, they're back with that conspiracy. There's a fellow called Guy Verhofstadt. He is a European Parliament member, a former PM of Belgium, uh, somebody that hated the idea of Brexit, loathed the fact that I even existed on the planet. And he appeared on Nick Ferrari's LBC breakfast show this morning. This is what Mr Verhofstadt had to say. Nigel Farage has said the conflict is because the EU and NATO tried to poke the Russian bear with a stick. What would you say well, to Mr Farage? Well, uh, Mr Farage, has, uh, it, 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 he has said already many things. Uh, so I, I, uh, I, I saw him the last years in the European Parliament, uh, uh, before Brexit, as you know. He was member of the European Parliament. Yes. And there he was uh, all the time defending uh, Putin. I found it a shame. And I'm, I'm thinking to Winston Churchill, who had uh, a little bit another opinion uh, about the responsibilities of Britain uh, than, uh, than uh, Farage uh, uh, colluding with, uh, with, uh, with Putin. So it's, what, it's, it's what, not uh, only an example of Farage. Uh? Mr. Verhofstadt, in what way did he collude with Putin? I must ask on that one. Why no? He, he, so he was simply defending uh, the, the, the positions of, of, of Russia. Well, Nick Ferrari ruined my day there because I quite like the fact that the Hofstadt was on British soil saying I colluded with Putin. I've never been to Russia. I've never met Vladimir Putin, let alone colluded with him. And I thought that could have been a suable offence, but Ferrari helped him dig himself out of a hole. But you can see the hatred, you can see the loathing. And the truth is, Mr Verhofstadt, the allies of Putin are not the Brexiteers. It's not even Donald Trump. It's the European Union. Who have now given, who have now paid, since Putin invaded, European Union countries have paid over 12 billion euros to Mr. Putin for oil and gas and have become wholly dependent upon him. They are the idiots in all of this. They are the colluders in all of this. And you can see, those of you at home watching this, there is the ticker showing you oil, gas and coal, the amount of money we're paying to Russia. Or not us, but Germany in particular, who appear to have got everything wrong. So I thought that was it for the day. That was the little bit of Farage ag for the day. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get to Parliament this afternoon. And here is Labour MP Chris Bryant. I don't understand why Aaron Banks, frankly, isn't on the list either. Even Isabel Oakeshott now thinks that he is an agent of influence for the Russian state. And I simply point out that Nigel Farage received from Russia today £548,000, £573 in 2018 alone from the Russian state. Quite extraordinary. I know that Mr. Brandt is a conspiracy theorist. I know that Mr. Brandt is an EU rejoiner. I know that Mr. Brandt has persistently pushed claims of the Russia hoax. Interesting, isn't it? Mr. Brandt criticises Russia Today. Well, Mr. Brandt, why did you appear on Russia Today? I wonder. Or had you forgotten that? Was that all too convenient? I, for the record, can tell you that in 2018, I didn't appear on Russia Today once, nor did I receive a single penny 
from Russia today. What you are saying is unfounded, untrue, defamatory, wrong, and yet you said it, didn't you? In the House of Commons, under parliamentary privilege, hoping that your mates in the media would pick this up and run with the story. Mr Brown, will you please come outside of Parliament, get away from that protection and privilege that you've got, and if you believe this to be true, say it openly. I'd love you to do it. I've got a writ ready with my lawyer. <laughs> and I'd really like a new motor car, very, very much indeed. <laughs> because there is not an ounce of truth in what you've said about me earning money in 2018 from Russia today. It is all part of this awful, awful conspiracy. I am not a tool of the Kremlin, but you are making yourself look a bit of a tool, in my opinion. <laughs> Let's talk to some real people, unlike Chris Bryan, shall we? It is time for Barrage the Farage, that part of the show where I get questions thrown at me. I do not know what they are before they're asked. Steve, you're first up, mate. Good evening, Nigel. Good evening. My question is, how can forgotten manufacturing towns like Dudley, Bilston and Albury bring factories and jobs back from China? Well, you're quite right. Or, as a friend of mine says, China. Um, the, uh, <laughs> you're right. I mean, the West Midlands has completely lost its manufacturing base. Now, we know through time, we know through time that industries evolve and change and there are cheaper cost bases in other parts of the world. We get that. However, however, what we have done is to disadvantage British manufacturers' energy with heavy engineering, with many of those smelting, many of those activities, heavy engineering needs a lot of energy. Our energy bills are 50% more than America, 30% plus more than they are with our next-door neighbours in France. We've disadvantaged British manufacturing. And because Boris is so proud, we've reduced our CO2 emissions more than any other Western country, yes, by outsourcing manufacturing to India, China, other parts of the world, and then importing the goods back. I can't wave a magic wand and tell you that overnight, manufacturing will come back. But I can say two things to you. Number one, that we have to be self-sufficient in energy. We should be an exporter of energy, not an importer of energy, and make sure we can provide industries with energy at good competitive prices. And secondly, end this obsession with sending as many kids as possible to university, many of whom are not naturally academics, and let's start getting some pride back in the fact that some youngsters want to be engineers, some youngsters want to be skilled, some youngsters want to work with their hands. So, competitive energy and a change in education ethos would be two good steps, in my opinion. What say you? I agree, exactly, especially with the university, one where everybody thinks everybody's going to go to university, but nobody can really because they're not up to it either. But it was just a way, back in the day, to get people off the dole figures. Let's send them to university, they're not on the dole figures, are they? And yet people weren't prepared. Every mum and... Well, not every mum and dad these days think their little Johnny and little yeah. Chloe can go to university. Yeah. Let's get real. Yeah. They can't. Yeah. Do you know what, Steve? It's right for some people. There are some people that absolutely should go to university. There are many others who would have a much more successful life, earn a great deal more money, learning trades and skills. We've got to get that back. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs>
Next up, I've got Raj. Raj, good evening. Good evening, Nigel. I wish you a lot of good health for your oncoming birthday. Hope you help this country now and forever. It's the earliest happy birthday I've ever had. But thank you. <laughs> I do it on the same day as you. <laughs> oh, I can't. You are. My question, my question is, yeah. post-Brexit, what do you think how biz UK businesses are doing? Well, look, I think post-Brexit, UK businesses are doing well, despite the fact we've not taken advantage of what Brexit offers us. You know, think of the insurance industry as one massive employer in this country. Every town's got insurance offices. They're not just in London, they're scattered all around the West Midlands and everywhere else. Um, you know, EU regulations are making the cost of insurance in this country too high, too bureaucratic, um, and it's taken now two years for this government to even start talking about it. Now, the city minister, John Glenn, says they're going to look at some of the EU directives on that industry. Um, that's just one little but very specific example of what could be done. The argument is that the government have been consumed by the pandemic, and that has taken up all of their energies. But then there are hundreds of thousands of civil servants working in Whitehall. Well, there were. They've all been at home drinking beer in the garden for the last two years, uh, getting full pay. Um, yeah, we've just not... This government has not turned its attention to it. And I also think this government doesn't understand small and medium-sized businesses. It just isn't in that mindset. It doesn't realise, running a small business, the amount of time that is taken up with petty regulation that needs to be simplified, if not got rid of, and they're not in that space. So, look, I, I do believe that Brexit, in terms of global trade, has opened us up to the world in a way that wouldn't be possible as EU members. I do believe that Brexit has allowed the government to speak much more strongly on Ukraine that it would have done and could have done as an EU member. It saw a vaccine rollout. Um, you know, the AUKUS deal on nuclear submarines with Australia. There are things that we've done that are good, but in terms of business, I think we've squandered it, Raj. What do you think? Absolutely. I agree with you. Our trade with uh, European countries have uh, dropped because now they're imposing a 12% duty at the point of uh, export. That was not there. Uh, I think we could do much better. Yeah. We could do much better. Yeah, I think, yeah. you know what, that is actually the overwhelming feeling of all businesses in this country. You've been a business person and you can understand. That's the reason I asked this question. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And we need a few more business people on the front bench because we haven't really got any. Thank you very Thank much you. indeed. <laughs> Hi. Owen, you're next up. Good evening, Nigel. Good evening. Um, if Russia was to go further and invade a nation such as Poland, would you personally support British troops on the ground? Um, in that case, I would. Um, I, I, I hope and pray that Putin has, still has some degree of rationality, though I'm not sure, given his behaviour in the last few weeks. Um, uh, one thing for certain, if he was to do that, it wouldn't just be NATO that would fight him tooth and nail, the Poles would fight him tooth and nail. Difficult to think of a European country more embattled over the last hundred years, suffered more than the Poles suffered in the last hundred years. They would not allow this man to walk into their country. And I think militarily, he's clearly stretched much further than he thought he was going to be in Ukraine. And whatever the rights and wrongs of Ukraine as a country, and it's got corruption and all sorts of problems. But you know what? Actually, I think it's quite moving to see these, 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 these Ukrainian men of all ages some with no military experience, picking up rifles and defending their homeland. It's what our country used to be like, 
Uh, I hope it still would be today if we faced that. But would you defend NATO? I would defend NATO. Yeah, I, I, I think actually that's how we all feel. Yeah. Uh, and Putin better know that. It's a shame the American president isn't a bit more prominent <laughs> in his <time. laughs> But never mind. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Roger, you're next up. Good evening. Good evening, Nigel. Welcome to Dudley and Thank welcome you. to the Black Country. Thank you very much. My question, my question for you is, do you think the next generation of MPs will be better or worse than the ones we have now? And I'm being polite. <laughs> well, I think we, we, we became consumed, didn't we? Both the main parties became consumed with career politicians. Yeah. You know, with people who left Oxford with their degree, went to work in research offices, became, you know, became members of Parliament in their late 20s, spent their weeks together in Westminster, their weekends together doing whatever they do, uh, appeared to have no hobbies, no life, no interest outside politics, uh, a level of intermarriages that's almost off the charts, um, <laughs> and just not representative of society as a whole. I do think that the 2019 intake of Conservative members of Parliament from the so-called red wall seats, and we're kind of talking about that here in many ways, I do actually think there is some encouragement by some of those new Conservative members of Parliament that have gone in. Uh, one thinks of Lee Anderson from Ashfield, who I had on the show last yeah. week. You know, Lee, a former miner. You know, a guy that, that really is rooted in his community. So I think it's a little bit better than it was a couple of years ago. It's got a lot further to go. I'd be very happy to see the average age of members of parliament go up by 10 years and see both parties full of people who served, and whether that's running their own business, being in the army, working for a charity, being a nurse, I don't care what they've done, a parliament made up of people with real experience of life would be a damn sight better than what we've had for the last 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> right, I've got to... I've got time for two more very, very quickly. Elliot, do you have a question for me? Elliot, good evening. Good evening, Nigel. How are you? Very well. Good. Um, acknowledging that the answer ultimately to this eludes anybody, um, do, do you feel that Putin's ambitions perhaps surpass that of Ukraine? Well, I'm interested to hear what you're... Well, I mean, I spoke to David Starkey, the historian, about this a couple of weeks ago, and he thinks that Putin has got into his mind this sort of greater, sort of Catherine the Great Russia... And that, of course, would take the Baltic states and much of Poland um, and would lead, actually, very much back to the question that Owen asked me a moment ago. Um, if he does, he's utterly deluded. And if he really thought Russian tanks were going to be welcomed or garlanded with flowers um, in, in western Ukraine, uh, clearly he's been in the ivory tower for far too long. I always thought he was quite a clever, rational player. I think he's got into a war... Even as far as he's gone now, he can't possibly win. Because even if he takes it militarily, the resistance will be there for decades and decades to come. So in his own little fantasy, perhaps, but it isn't going to happen. Yes. What do you think? I think with the level of pressure that has been obviously currently exerted upon him, it does leave him in a very difficult position where it potentially his demise is inexorable, perhaps, of course. Yeah, I, I, you know, the trouble is how do they get rid of him? I don't know. Thank you for the question. I'm going to take one last quick one. Uh, Chris. We're running short of time, but Chris, far away. Good evening, Nigel. Welcome to the Black Country. Thank you. Uh, now we're out of the EU, 
do you think the government should be promoting us for all, for all of us to buy more British products similar to the 60s, I'm back in Britain? What do you think? Yeah, well, of course, we couldn't do that as EU members. We weren't allowed to do that because that would have been discriminatory against our European friends and neighbours. Look, I think one of the things that's happened with Ukraine is, we began, and we had that debate with Ross a bit earlier on, is the idea that you're self-sufficient, the idea that you do things closer to home, the idea that you're less reliant. And we've got a real problem here. It isn't just energy, it's food, and it's many, many other things. And I actually think, yes, the idea that we do back British businesses, back British goods, try and, buy, try and buy more British products, I'm for it, and I'm guessing you are too. Definitely. I used to be a sales manager. I always supported Britain. And I think you're the only guy that does support Britain. The Prime Minister, I've never heard him push Britain like you, Nigel. Well, we'll put some pressure on him and maybe he will. Thank well, you. Then. Right, OK. In a moment, it's going to be Talking Pints. I'm going to be joined by an inspirational figure called Dave Watson. I'll see you in a moment. Well, we're back here in Dublin. It is... It's always my favourite part of the show. It's Talking Pints. I'm joined by Dave Watson. Dave... Thank you, mate, for being with us here in much. Dudley. You live just down the road. Now, look, Scots Guards, beating your family, and there you are. You're 18 years old. You're a Scots Guardsman. Boots polished up like glass. And you're on ceremonial duty at Buckingham Palace. I am. How good did that feel? It was were, it were life-changing. Because when I was a young lad and I'd been to London, I didn't think them guys were the military, you know what I mean? I didn't see that side of the military until I joined, and then I realised it was the military there. And, and actually, one of the best sales points for Britain. Oh, yeah. You know, like, I mean, you know, foreign visitors come, they see the guards on duty at the Royal Palace, and they think, wow, I mean, this yeah. is, this, the, these guys are impressive. My fault was all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you got, to, you got to know the royal family doing it. I did. And I'm told, rumour has it, you dance with the Queen. That can't be true. I did dance with the Queen, yeah. <laughs> Pretty, that is pretty amazing. That was how your soldiering career began, but of course the guards, fighting regiments, always have been for centuries, and you're off to Afghanistan, you're off to Helmand. There aren't many of our generation that actually know what it must feel like to be heading off to a real war. What was it like heading out there? It was, it was all right at first, but it was, it was when we, we got on that flight flying over there and that's when it became real. And especially when you're leaving your families behind. Yeah. Because you don't know whether you're going to come back or you don't know whether you're going to be seeing them again. So it's, that's what's the scary part. And then when you get over there, that's when, it, that's when it hits you. And you were out on patrol and you had the deep misfortune. It wasn't just you, it happened to lots of people, mm. of stepping on an IED. Do you, remember, do you remember much of it? I remember everything. I do remember really? it like it was yesterday, yeah. Um, do you really? The doctors and that, what were there, they said, because of the size of me, I was, I was six one and I were, I were pretty built. And with the size of me, that's how I survived. And that's how I coped. If it happened to someone that was smaller than me, they wouldn't have had a chance. I mean, the extent of your injuries was, was massive, obviously. Uh, you, I mean, how do you... I mean, I've, I've been through 
very bad road traffic accident, plane crash, I've had bits of me broken and all sorts of things. Nothing like you've been through. But you sort of, sort of think when you're recovering from these things, was I really unlucky? Or was I really lucky? It's a really difficult one. How did you deal with all of that? Well, at first, you feel like you're unlucky. Mm. But then you, be, you come to hospital and you're in your ward. And the reason that I become lucky was there were a guy next to me, a young lad, younger than me, missing both his legs, a few fingers, and he was blind as well. So he was worse off than what I were. Mm. And then it's when you, be, when you go to Headley Court, that's when you see all the injuries and you realise how lucky you are. And if this didn't happen to me, I wouldn't have met my wife, I wouldn't have had my kids, and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. So this, this happening to me is the making of me. It's just amazing to see that positive mental attitude and actually quite inspiring, I think. I mean, it really is inspiring. I know you felt let down by the army and let down by the government when it came to the operation. Just, just share that briefly with us. Yeah, so in two... Like, I, I got up and walking and the sockets that I was using at the time were hurting me. They were breaking my scar tissue down, so I was bleeding a lot. So I were off my legs for two and a half years. And then I found an operation over in Australia, osseointegration. Got rid of the sockets. I have a metal implant inside my leg and my leg connects to that. I did some research and the operation were going to cost 124 to £125,000. I went to my regiment, asked for help. I did everything they asked. They still turned around and said no. I had to fund that myself from the compensation that I got from these injuries happening to me. Mm. Why well, that money's meant to last me the rest of my life. I had to fund it all out of that. Just amazing. We let our people down as badly as this. It's, it's just disgusting, to be honest with you. But you did it. And suddenly, sport, the Invictus Games. Mm. And we've got Dave Watson, suddenly a competitor. And it's shot put. It's dis... There, as an inspirational speaker, <coughs> going around, speaking to other people who've, who've fallen on hard times, difficult times. Yeah. Do you enjoy doing that? I enjoy it. Well, I'm, I'm trying to change the world on my own. <laughs> Good! So, I don't want... I, I, go to, I go to a lot of places, schools, colleges, universities, businesses. I do afternoon speaking, but I try and educate people there's more to life than just work and whatever else you do. There's time to get out and do other stuff. Set yourself goals, reach them goals, then set yourself a bigger goal. It all works. It's, it, it's all part of your mental health. You see, I do worry, and I, I, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I do worry that people who are born with disabilities or get disabilities through accidents or no fault of their own, I do worry that if we treat them as victims and if they feel yeah. like victims, they're going to get trapped into a life of thinking, well, I can't do this and I can't do that, and somehow... <coughs> You said the hell with it, I'm just going to do all these things. Yeah, like, especially with young kids what get born with disabilities, the parents wrap them up in cotton wool because they don't want them to get hurt. Because they're scared, yeah. Yeah, and the way I see it is don't wrap them up in cotton wool. Let them do what they want to do. They can do whatever they put their mind to. I'm setting myself a goal at the moment. I'm trying to get on, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I am. To show that no matter whether you've got a disability, anything is possible. And if I can get onto that... Sort of actors and celebs get a bit scared of the creepy crawlers. Compared to what you've been through, that would be nothing, really, oh, would it? <laughs> breakfast, dinner and tea straight, though. You're not having... <laughs> so I'm a celebrity. Is that the, that's the next big goal for Dave, is it? That's the next big goal for me. See if I can get Anton Deck to let me on I'm a celebrity to prove to everybody out there with disabilities anything's possible when you put your mind to it. Well, I have to say, I love your positive mental attitude. I have to ask you one thing that is not so easy. Is 20 years we were in Afghanistan, 460-odd <coughs> of our soldiers killed, thousands, this is forgotten quite often, thousands wounded very seriously. And now there's a war happening again mm. in Ukraine. Does man never learn? They don't. They don't. And I have said to a lot of people, if it wasn't for my disability and having my family, my background's the military. Mm -hmm. I'd go out there tomorrow and help them if I could, you know what I mean? It's, it's my background, it's what I know. And I'd be out there tomorrow if I could. So. I believe you. The whole of the audience believes you. And yeah. uh, I have to say, Dave Watson, I've interviewed lots and lots of people. Um, on Talking Pints, people from all sorts of backgrounds, people who've succeeded, people who've overcome all sorts of difficulties. I think you're the sing one of the most single most inspiring people I have ever met. And it's an absolute privilege to have you here tonight on GB News. And I can't wait to see you on I'm a Celebrity. <laughs> Get me out of here. We always try, with Farage at Large, we always do our absolute best to try to find a local singer, a local band, be whatever it is. And we have a girl tonight for you, born in Dudley. She's Dudley through and through. She's going to sing a song that we all know very, very well. Don't be shy. You can all join in if you want to. Please take it away, Darcy Edwards. you're doing to me I've spent my years believing you but I just can't get a relief Lord, somebody oh somebody can anybody find me somebody to love Somebody, oh, somebody 